Okay, so I'm going to get Erica up in a minute, but just before we do that, we're beginning a new series today, and I just wanted to say one or two things, really. If you like, as your pastor, I just wanted to underline what I see is the significance of the teaching series and the life group materials we're going to begin. We've been on a journey now here at Beck over well over 10 years to try and encourage and establish a culture of missional discipleship. Now, if you like, some folks, you know, when we say missional, what do we mean? I mean a lifestyle of understanding that we are a sent people. We're not here for our sakes. So it's not just evangelism, it's actually the understanding that we are, if you like, missionaries. If, if a missionary grow, goes abroad, and we have a couple of our uh, missionaries here, if a missionary goes abroad, I'm guessing a lot of the time they're conscious, they're sent, because they're in a strange land. Those of us who are here should no less have that sense of being sent. We are in a strange land here, and we are sent by God. So... That's what we mean by a, a culture of missional discipleship. So it's a lifestyle. It's not just evangelistic seasons or programs or techniques, good though they are. Every one of us should understand the gospel well enough to be able to explain it to someone. But it's not just evangelistic techniques. And this trying to establish this culture is a whole church effort we've been about. It's not just Karen and Erica that we've employed to do this. Okay, the church leadership as a whole is bought into trying to establish this missional culture. So if I have any discernment before the Lord, and I might have some, I sense this series, if you like, at this time is the point of the spear for us. It's an effort to try and put some tools in our hands so that we begin to live this kind of missional lifestyle. It will be this series, the teaching and in our life groups, an opportunity for us to think about our lifestyles in terms of being outward looking. Now, there may be better tools out there to, to say again this isn't a technique we're going to teach at this time we are going to use a particular book at the center of it and we want to be about blessing the world there may be better tools out there and there are certainly people better equipped to deliver this type of approach but I want to encourage us as a church my point is really this I want to encourage you as Beck folks and pass this on work with us on this. We've tried to discern here what the Lord's will is for us at this time. I want to encourage you, come humbly. Come ready to receive. There may be elements that we teach into or look at in our life groups you think, well, I'm not sure about that, don't agree with that. Well, just, just work with us. We're trying to say, we're trying to discern what the Lord's will for us is and, and we believe he wants us to work at this missional lifestyles. And who knows, if we will be willing to come humbly, he may just do a transforming work among us such that we begin to turn the church inside out 
that we might be outward looking and not always inward focus. I'm not saying we are inward focus. I think we are a missional church. I think we have a heart for the lost and the communities and we have evangelists among us. But wouldn't it be great if throughout the church, every one of us carried that sense of sentness and was looking to connect the folks we know intentionally, consciously with Christ. So Father, I pray as we begin this series this morning, I don't want to put all that responsibility on Erica's shoulders as she preaches now, but I just pray, Lord, let us be receptive to what you have to say. You were sent as the Father sent me. I send you. Lord, I pray that we'd be conscious of that and you'd equip us, instruct us, help us to think about our lifestyles such that we would be people reaching out to those around us and witnessing for you. So Spirit, do a work among us through this series and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just welcome Erica among us, shall we? Morning, everybody. Morning. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Um, I've just been on holiday, as you might have been able to tell. I haven't just not been washing for the last few weeks. And it's been lovely. It's been really relaxing. It's been um, really warm. I've been trying to keep warm the last two days since I've been back. Um, but it's also been a bit strange. It was very strange being away, turning the television on and hearing about the Queen's death and then not being here for any of the sort of nation's grieving that was being going on. We kind of wanted to be back home as well as be back on holiday. Um, so I'm really glad we're back for the funeral, actually. Um, but the other thing that was strange about it was that I was carrying this sermon. <laughs> and and it's, a, it's a thing you do when you're, when you're a preacher and you know God's given you something important to share. You do carry it. You, you carry the weight of it with you. And it was on my mind. I was doing a little bit of work there. I was, I was sitting under my sunshade on my sermon. But I was, I was carrying it and praying for us as a church as we start this series that God will really do something important here amongst us. Um, we don't want this series to be a, a tick box exercise. Oh, we've got five, six weeks of this and then we'll move on to the next thing. Um, I, I really believe this is actually the most important sermon I've ever preached in this church. And I don't want to put, as Paula said, that doesn't mean I take all the responsibility for what happens here at all. I can just be faithful to what I think God has told me to say, but I'm really praying that the Holy Spirit will start something during this series that is something that will change us as a church and change the people we know who don't yet know Christ. Um, this sermon for me, I, I realized as I was mulling it over, has actually been more than a decade in the making for me. God's been teaching me some stuff and I'm a slow learner probably <laughs> because it's, there have been various points along the way in my, in my journey with the Lord in the last 10 years where the penny has dropped and I realize I'm trying to, to give a lot of stuff out here today. And I realize for you, it might be the first time you've been hearing this in the way that I've been learning it. So I just pray that you'll forgive my limitations. <laughs> um, and I pray that um, actually that what you will really be able to do, whether I've ever upset you in the past or whether you just don't like me, I pray that you can just put that to one side <laughs> and just really pay attention to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you in the next half hour 
the next few weeks. Um, so I'd like to start by asking you, if you can, um, to, to put your thumb and forefinger together in a nice little O shape like that. Can you all make a nice little O? Yeah. Okay. And then just touch your thumb to each of your fingertips in turn. Like that, yeah, easy peasy. And then to the base of your fingers, that might be a bit more tricky, but if you've got podgy fingers like me. But um, okay, okay, fine? Right, that's what a thumb should be able to do. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, I tore the ligament in my right thumb about six weeks ago and had to have surgery on it. And then I had to have my thumb in plaster for four weeks. Uh, and now I have to wear this thumb splint for another four weeks. I'm not allowed to use it, put a lot of pressure on it at the moment, but I do have to do my exercises like we were just doing there, okay? Um, unfortunately for me, <laughs> with my right thumb, my O shape is a capital D. <laughs> and um, I can just about touch my thumb to my forefinger with a bit of effort <laughs> to my middle finger and sometimes to my ring finger, it hurts a bit. Um, but I have to keep doing that, and I have to keep moving my thumb if I'm going to get the movement back. If I hadn't had the surgery, my thumb would have been floppy and useless forever. So it's a good job I did have it. But now it's stiff. And when they said it was going to be stiff, um, I didn't realize they meant it's just going to sit there, and I'm not going <laughs> to. This is me trying to bend my thumb, <laughs> which is not working very well. It's been immobile for such a long time, and it's in such a delicate state, that it's going to take a lot of work to actually get it moving again. It's going to be worth it, because Mark doesn't want to be doing up my shoelaces for the rest of my life. <laughs> or doing the washing up. <laughs> I'll just put that back on so it doesn't hurt. Um, the thing is, I could learn to live with this. I could live to work around not having a working right thumb. But I think God's been speaking to me about uh, the church in the West, and by extension, our church, in terms of there being something drastically wrong. Something which should be as natural as making an O shape with your thumb and your forefinger is not functioning well. And it's holding us back from what God has intended us to be. That thing which is not functioning well in our church in the West, and particularly in our a church here as well, is the commitment and the ability of disciples of Jesus Christ like you and me to make disciples. It ain't happening. <laughs> We've got so used to ignoring that part of the Christian life and finding excuses for not doing it that it will feel unnatural and difficult to start doing it again. I believe with all my heart that God has already given us everything that we need to become a church where disciple-making is a normal, natural, and commonplace thing, as God intends it to be. But most of us are so unused to it that it may take us quite some time to get there. 
and it might require some hard work or even a little pain in the process. So what I want to do today is I want to lay out how I think God's word makes it clear that making disciples is something for all of us. And I want to ask us all the question whether we are willing to accept the commission that Jesus has given us. Now, uh, just a few moments ago, the, the new vision and mission of our church was put up on the screen. Um, this was in 2021, the elders spent quite some time praying through what is God's direction for us as a church, what is God's heart for us as a church to be about. And these are the statements that summed up all their praying and thinking and talking. The vision is to see transformation in rugby and beyond as everyone follows Jesus. Now that's what they sometimes call in business a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And that is what a vision should be. It should be something we cannot achieve on our own without God's help. Our mission statement is equipping communities of disciples who make new disciples. That's what all our activity that is outward looking, that is missional, should be about, making new disciples. So let's start there, shall we? Do we really believe that each one of us here in this room and those members of Beck who aren't here today, all of us here who are followers of Jesus, are we called to make disciples? I think uh, for me, certainly, and as I've been chatting with people about it, I think there are a number of wrong beliefs, wrong understandings, a number of fears which we often hold, which prevent us from actually agreeing with that statement deep down. It's a statement we'd kind of agree with, maybe, but when it actually comes to our lives, things hold us back. Uh, The first thing, and Paul referred to this actually in his introduction, thank you Paul, which is um, we often think, well, I'm not an evangelist. Now, I'm looking around the room, and I can see at least two people I know who would say they have the gift of evangelism. Put your hand up if you think God has gifted you with the gift of evangelism. Okay. Five people, maybe? Five people. Okay. That's okay. But not all of us are evangelists. However... We are all disciples who've been commissioned by Jesus to make disciples. In other words, Jesus has given us his authority, and thank you for that prayer earlier about going out in boldness and going out in God's authority. We've been given Jesus' authority to carry out the task of making new disciples. Such a famous verse, such famous verses. We know these verses inside out if we've been a Christian any length of time. Jesus, after his resurrection, just before the ascension, speaking to his 11 disciples, who are shortly to become 12 again, and he says to them, he came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, Jesus was not just talking to those 11 disciples who would become the apostles who would lead the church. They alone could not possibly reach and disciple all nations. 
the commission was always intended to have a cascading effect, spreading out geographically as Jesus' followers moved through the world making new disciples who then made new disciples. I think we need to correct some of our misunderstandings about spiritual gifts and what God wants for all of us, you know. In the church, we've got specialists and we've got generalists, okay? Individual spiritual gifts are specialisms given to some people and not others as the Holy Spirit decides. We all have at least one spiritual gift, the Bible says, and God needs each one of us to recognize and develop and use what we've been given for the church to function healthily and effectively and to represent God in the world. The special task of an evangelist is to proclaim the good news about salvation through Jesus Christ. Anywhere and everywhere they can do it. An evangelist who is operating in their gifting has a constant desire to share the good news of Jesus with others. And they're gifted to powerfully and clearly proclaim it, whether to crowds or to individuals. We see it in Acts chapter 8, where Philip, known as the evangelist, um, he proclaims the gospel to a crowd, first of all in Samaria, and then the Holy Spirit takes him to witness to a single man, the Ethiopian eunuch, um, and lead him to Jesus. I myself, I would not have been brought up in a Christian family if it hadn't been for Billy Graham, that evangelist, preaching the gospel in London to my mother in one of those crowds at Wembley. Or if American missionaries had not gone and shared the gospel with my father, the other side of the world in Egypt. More of us need to pray for the gift of evangelism. Let's pray for our young people this weekend that some of them will be given the gift of evangelism, that they might powerfully proclaim the gospel to their friends. But the evangelist's specialist role, like that of apostles, prophets, shepherds, and teachers, is also to equip the whole church to tell people the good news about salvation through faith in Jesus. It says that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, sometimes known as the apest gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. A disciple-maker's task is more general. It's for all of us, and we are to learn from the example of evangelists more about journeying with people through to that point of decision for Jesus and beyond, teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded us, including making new disciples themselves. Being a disciple maker is not a gifting for the few, it's a commission for us all. All it requires is a decision to accept it and to go out in the authority of Jesus. That is the way we will reach all nations and the ends of the earth for Jesus. Some people might be called to physically go to other nations. Most of us are called to stay where we are and reach our own nation and those who God has brought to this nation. In my own street, I've got neighbors from China, from India, Pakistan, and Iran. In the English classes, which Dave Andrews heads up, we've seen Ukrainians, Turks, Sudanese, and Syrians recently. God has brought the nations to us. We don't even have to leave the country. 
and we don't have to be an evangelist. The second uh, thing I think we sometimes stumble at in this whole accepting the commission is that we say, I don't know how to preach the gospel. Don't put me on a street corner and tell me to talk to people about Jesus. Don't make me go and knock doors. Okay. It might be true that you do not know how to stand up and preach the gospel. But that is completely irrelevant. We are to speak of what we know and what we have experienced. And let's not underestimate how powerful that is in our culture today, where people are obsessed with authenticity. That's why people have spoken with such respect of the Queen, I think, and her faith in the last few days, is because she might have been a wrinkly, but she was very open about who she was and true to herself, and her faith was a massive part of that. That speaks to people today. In Acts chapters 3 and 4, Peter and John uh, are on their way to the temple to worship and they come across a lame man who's being carried there to beg. They heal him in the name of Jesus and then a crowd gathers, as you can imagine, and they take that opportunity to preach about Jesus. They then get arrested and hauled up in front of the Jewish religious leaders and told it not to do that anymore. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, says, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Eventually, the authorities scratch their heads and go, well, we can't really argue with this. There's this lame man jumping around here. Uh, So they release them and they say, don't do it again, or else you'll be in even more trouble. So Peter and John go back to the other disciples and they pray. And they don't pray for protection from the authorities. They pray something else. They say, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. We're not onto that verse yet. Thanks. Why could they not help themselves? Because Jesus had turned their whole life upside down and all their understanding of God with it and they needed to share it. They were doing just what Jesus did, responding to the needs of the person in front of them and explaining the power and goodness of God to those who asked. The Holy Spirit gave them words to say, even though the authorities recognized them as unschooled, ordinary men. If you don't like school, or you didn't like school, that's good news, isn't it? When they needed boldness, they prayed for it. We don't need to have all the answers. We just need to know the reality of God in our life in such a way that it spills out of us at every opportunity. And we need to love God more than we want the respect of those who don't know him. And we need to seek the Holy Spirit's power to act and speak boldly. He's not there just to comfort. 
He's not there just to guide. He's there to give us the power to go out and supernaturally share the gospel. The third thing I think sometimes holds us back is we say, well, I just don't get the opportunities to share the good news with people. You know, I try and love people and I try and live as Jesus would want me to live, but then nobody ever asks me about being a Christian. I believe that opportunities come when we are attentive to God and the people around us. We do need to learn from Jesus. He came to be a light for people walking in darkness and he did it by listening to the Father and then going and speaking as he was directed by the Father. And this is these verses in John 12. He says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus never let anyone but his Father set his daily agenda. And making disciples is not about forcing ourselves to have awkward conversations with people who don't want to know about it. It's about praying regularly for people God puts on our heart and praying every day for God to lead us to the people he is already at work in. When we pay attention to those people and we listen well, then the Holy Spirit will reveal their needs to us and how we can help them, whether it's with actions or with the words of eternal life. But we have to make ourselves available to God. And finally, I think the other thing that holds us back is the sense of our own inadequacy. Someone else can do it better than me. I'm not the right person for that job. Well, think about this. If we are called to reach the whole world for Jesus, it's going to take all of us to do it. The five evangelists who put their hands up in this room don't know your neighbours, they don't know your relatives, they don't know your workmates. You've been placed in streets and in families, in workplaces, in leisure activities and ministries that I have not, and vice versa. You relate to people that I can't, and the other way around. You know, in Romans, it's another very well-known passage, isn't it, where Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you have beautiful feet? Beautiful feet are the ones which take us to the people who need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. We've all been sent because not everybody has heard the good news yet. 
and we will all be kept being sent until everyone has heard the good news. Michael Frost wrote a little book a while ago called The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. And in that, he said um, that we need to live a life of love so that we arouse questions in others. He called it living a questionable life, which doesn't mean being dodgy. (laughs) It means being extravagant in our generosity, in our hospitality, in a way that is not culturally acceptable, maybe. That's over the top. Paying attention to people in a way that shows them that they are the most valuable thing in the world to God. He quotes Colossians chapter 4 and he, and he says, um, where it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message that, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. That's praying for the evangelists. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, but be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He basically says that if we are leading prayerful, generous, hospitable, Christ-like, spirit-led lives in close relationships with non-believers, then we will have many opportunities to answer the questions that they inevitably ask us. The gifted evangelists are there to proclaim, but evangelistically minded disciples are to be ready to give gracious answers to those who ask us. This series is all about, so what do we do in response to that commission of Jesus? Um, when I was in South Hatfield many years ago, there was a preacher who'd been, whose life had been turned around by God, and he used to kind of hector us from the pulpit and saying, you need to have more passion, you need to, you need to love God more, you need to be an evangelist, blah, blah. And I sometimes felt like saying, you know, what, what do I do? What do you want me to do? Well, what we're trying to offer in this series is something to do. <laughs> It's not the answer, it's not the be all and end all, it's not even anything particularly new. It's about building into our lives habits that make us more attentive to God every day and more attentive to the people around us and and living in such a way that we will have more opportunities to share the gospel with them. It's not about telling you to get involved in more ministry. It's not telling you to run more events. It's about us as a church deciding, are we going to order our lives around God's priority of bringing eternal life to those who will otherwise die in their sins? It may involve some small changes. It may involve some large ones but it begins with us all accepting the commission that Jesus has given us to go in his authority and make disciples. That's the kind of church I think God wants us to be. 
It scares me, but it does excite me because it's worth belonging to. Nothing else is more important. If anybody can think of anything (laughs) that is more important than helping people to find salvation and forgiveness and eternal life in Christ Jesus, then please tell me, because I'll do that instead. (laughs) So why would we not give ourselves to this? Are we willing to become disciple-makers? I think we need some time to weigh this, um, or at home, if you process things better that way. But what do you think God is saying to you? Does what I've said this morning ring true? Just as we sit here quietly now, let's be honest in our hearts with God. I was listening to a Christian leader a a while uh, just recently who was saying that the things which had stopped her from giving everything to God in her life were fear, comfort, and control. Which is it for you? Which is it for me? To be honest, I think there's a dose of fear. I think there's quite a lot of liking my comfort. What is God putting his finger on for you? If you feel inadequate to the task, join the club. God tends to use inadequate people, doesn't he? He doesn't ask us to be adequate, actually. He just asks us to be willing and open to the supernatural work of his spirit. He's the one who will supply compassion and power where we lack it. I don't often do this in a sermon, but I would ask you now if you would stand with me physically if you think God is speaking to you about accepting the commission to be a disciple maker. You don't have to have all the answers. In fact, you'll probably have millions of questions. That's okay. But if you wish to start building things into your life which will help you to become more generous with your time and your hospitality, things that will make you more available and obedient to God for him to use every day, habits that will make you more willing and able to speak of the good things God has done in your life, then would you just stand now? No pressure. If you need more time to think about this and pray about it, that is fine. It doesn't say anything about your walk with God if you don't feel ready to stand just now. I would far rather people just sit down and wait until they're sure that is what God is saying to them. For the now, the question for each one of us, I think, is are we willing to stop ignoring Jesus' commission and start obeying it? He calls us to be a holy, set-apart people. And holiness is not just worship, it's obedience. So Lord, we confess to you 
that our love is sometimes really weak. Our love for you, let alone our love for other people who are annoying and irritating and who we don't get on with or who have nothing in common with us or who seem to have made a mess of their lives. Lord, we pray that you will fill us with your love and your compassion, the love that drove you to the cross for those same people who were crucifying you. Lord, we confess too that we like our lives as they are sometimes. We don't really want to be disturbed. We don't really want to have to change. Change is hard. But Lord, we know that there is nothing else more important to give our lives to than telling people about you showing them your love, helping them to learn how to follow you every single day. So Lord, we just give ourselves into your hands now. We say we don't have the answers, we don't have the ability, but we know a man who does. We just ask you now, Holy Spirit, I pray for that boldness that came on the disciples on the day of Pentecost and afterwards. Give us boldness where we are fearful. Give us the words where we are tongue-tied. Lord, more than anything else, Lord, help us to listen to you more closely all through our days. Not in a slot that we give you, but all day, Lord. Help us to learn to hear you. Show us those people who you want us to bless. Show us those people who need a listening ear. And just lead us, please, Lord, in your ways. Help us to become a church where we are doing baptisms so often it becomes boring. <laughs> It'll never become boring, Lord. But Lord, we want to be a church that is able to party regularly and often and celebrate new life in Christ. Make us that church and help us to believe, Lord, that you can use even me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>